Wonderful. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians tonight in chapter number 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, musicians. Thank you for your ministry. It's been clearly just that. It's been a ministry to all of us, and I, uh, am, I, I'm running out of words to say, uh, to express myself adequately and, and uh, sufficiently how much I appreciate so many things that are being done for these services the, 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 I, I, I hope those of you who are here all the time don't take for granted what the Lord is doing for you in this ministry of music. Uh, the ministry is done with a quality, with a, with a magnification of the Savior of which we have been singing tonight. And I am so thankful to just sit here. I feel like I'm in the middle of a recording up here. I'm telling you, I got these instruments uh, behind me and uh, the choir behind me and, and uh, your pastor beside me. And I've got all these uh, talented voices and I'm just trying to hang on, you know, and uh, give it what I've got. And so I'm grateful for that. And I thank you for putting up with the, I don't ever think about the fact that my voice is different from uh, from the, the locale where I am, I think you can tell that I'm not from uh, Wisconsin. And uh, I, I've got, this is the way it comes out when you grow up in Texas. It's just the way it is. And, I, and one day when we're all in heaven, you'll get used to it. Uh, the, the truth is, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you ever met a Texan? They always tell you, don't they? And I'm sorry. Uh, that's, that's what you do. But nevertheless, I, I thank you. Choir. Uh, you just, you get, um, you get gooder and gooder every service, I'm telling you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm around education. I need to speak better than that. So uh, it, you, you truly are a blessing, and I thank you with all my heart. Thank you for getting here when you do to, to maybe run through it. I don't know what you do to prepare, but it's a blessing to all of us. An orchestra, uh, you're not half bad, I'm telling you. That is outstanding, and uh, always music. I just don't know what else to say. It's just incredible. I thank you for all the work that goes on behind the scenes, folks that are probably working in the nursery and working with the youngsters somewhere. I'm deeply appreciative for all that. Uh, you know, we, I've been here th three days, and I, uh, I, uh, I just about, I, I'm thinking by tomorrow, I'm going to be real good, just about by tomorrow, I'm, I'm going to be able to know my way around the hallway, I think, you know. I'm going to wind up in a third grade class one of these days. I'm not knowing where I'm at half the time, but I'm just about able to find my way around after uh, three days. By, by tomorrow, I should be okay. Would you pray for the services in the morning? I'll have two chapels. I have the one with the academy, and we had time together this morning. I enjoyed that time. And then I'll, I'll be privileged to be in the college uh, chapel tomorrow as well. And then we'll be back together again. It's been said already several times, 7.30 tomorrow night. And I've told you every service uh, what the next service is, okay? So you know what tomorrow night is, don't you? Uh, it's Wednesday night. That's what it is. It's Wednesday night. It's, and it's also the most important service of the meeting. So come back and be with us tomorrow night. This is a wonderful Tuesday night crowd. And I, I cannot thank you enough for being here. I really can't. If we've not met as of yet, I sure would love to get a name and a face together. I know it's kind of hard to do when you're, you've got to rush out and, and, uh, and get going, grab your kids and get going. But if our paths cross, I hope that you'll take the time to just say hello and give me a name if you would. Love to meet all of you if I could. This is my opinion, and that's all it is, that this second Corinthians is the most personal of all of Paul's letters. It is the most, in my opinion, um, autobiographical in nature. He speaks of himself so openly in this letter. He has to deal with several things. And when we come to chapter 10, what we call chapter 10, Paul is turning a corner and having to deal with an issue with the Corinthian church, as he often had to do. Historians tell us that he probably wrote as many as four letters to the Corinthian church. Two were a part of the canon of Scripture. And the critics there in Corinth, as they loved to find fault with Paul, determined to say that, you know, Paul loves to be confrontational when he writes his letters. He's in our face. 
when he writes those letters. When he's far away, boy, he's real bold. But whenever he shows up, that boldness is really not there. He, he seems to be different. And so Paul addresses that at the beginning of chapter 10. That's not my sermon, but it is important to know because it'll be the catalyst that will kick us into the portion I want us to look at in the scriptures tonight. Paul even quotes his critic, our critics. He quotes them as saying that he, again, is bold when he's away, but he's, he's mild when he is with us. And he uses it. And he even speaks to the fact that his character is a character that he's striving to be like Christ. Enough of me. Let's read the scriptures. Look at verse 1. You can see that Paul is turning the corner here. He says, now, I, Paul, myself. Some argue that maybe Paul even picked up the pen and began to write these words himself. I'm not sure if that's true. Maybe it was. That's not significant for our study. Now, I, Paul, myself, beseech you. I'm on my knees begging you. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, there's his description of Christ's likeness. The meekness, that's authority under control. And gentleness, that's a similar word, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an additional word to the word meekness. Of Christ, who, now he's going to quote his critic. Who in presence, I'm base among you, but being absent, I'm bold towards you. But I beseech you, I beg you, I urge you, that I may not be bold when I'm present with that confidence. That word confidence is is the word that means authority. In other words, Paul says, if I have to be, I will be when I get there. I can be confrontational. But he's hoping that they'll take care of it before he gets there. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I'm present with that authority or confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly, material, physical. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Lord, I sure want to be a blessing. I want to deliver the message you've laid on my heart. These truths, Lord, have helped me and I want to be a help to these, my friends, tonight. So, Lord, don't let me get in the way of what you have for us in this passage. May it be timely. May it be beneficial. May it encourage a new believer. May it instruct someone who's never been instructed in this before. And let it be an encouragement and a reminder for those who have been taught this, probably, Lord, several times. May each one of us tonight walk out and say, I heard from the Lord. So, Lord, you just open the ears, illuminate your people. Give that energized new life, as this conference is called, and refresh us, refresh us, strengthen us by the truths that we'll see here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I have referenced a couple of times this week those days when I was a, a young teenager in, the, uh, in the, the junior high days, what we used to call junior high days, I remember in the eighth grade, I have no idea why I got fascinated with boxing. I don't have a clue why. I was never a fighter, didn't want to fight. But I got fascinated with, with boxing. Guys at school were talking about it. And there were a bunch of boxers that were, uh, you know, they were pretty uh, uh, well-known and big-mouthed and so forth. And so forth. There, there was, uh, uh, there was uh, Muhammad Ali. And uh, there was his arch-nemesis, Joe Frazier. Uh, and let's see here, there was uh, uh, 
Uh, George Foreman, ladies, you may have him in your kitchen, you know. Uh, you put a big smile on his face. Uh, he didn't have to fight to make money anymore. Uh, I, you know, there was Leon Spinks and some of these guys that were the big boxers of those days and so forth. I convinced my mom that I needed to get some boxing gloves. I don't know why. I just was fascinated by it. I wanted to have some boxing gloves. We walked into a store I don't even think they exist anymore, but it's an old store called Western Auto. Just an old general catch-all that had a little bit of everything in it. We walked in the Western Auto store, and in the, some section of the store, there was a box of youth-sized boxing gloves. Two sets of boxing gloves in one box. I said, Mom, there it is. got to have it. got to have it. She said, all right. She didn't want me to fight, but she wanted me to, to, to learn, maybe to defend myself. I don't know, so she got them for me. Well, I went home. And I can still see those big old red uh, puffy mitts. And I put the first one on, slipped it on, and I had to have someone tie it up and lace me up and everything. Well, now you got this big old mitt on your hand. You can't use it to help you get the other one on. So you just, you'd start it in and you'd grab it with your teeth and pull it on and you get someone to tie it up. Man, I, I was ready to go. Now, I didn't have any brothers. You know, I, I, just a misfortune of my life. I didn't have any brothers uh, to, to fight with. But I did have a sister. And so... <laughs> We, we got my older sister, and I thought, this is the moment I've been waiting for. And uh, my mother said, you be good. And I said, Mom, you, you know it. And I said, uh, just get her fixed up and leave the room. And, uh, and so we were, we were inside the house. You know, we moved the furniture out of the way and so forth. What a, it was crazy. And so I got ready. I mean, I had observed and watched, and I was ready to just, and I wasn't going to land any uh, hard hits or anything, but I just kind of wanted to tap some gloves and so forth. It was within moments I realized. Well, I mean, within 15 seconds, I thought, this is a waste of time. I mean, my sister... She fought like a girl. Go figure. I mean, it was, it was this kind of stuff, you know, and, you know. What she wanted to do was grow fingernails that would come out of those gl gloves and claw my eyes out. And I said, ah, forget this. And so I called my best friend, my very best friend. His name was Gary. He lived several blocks away. I said, Gary, I got boxing gloves, man. Come over. And I, he says, I'll be right there. He jumped on his bike and he rode over. We got him all fixed up. We went outside. Now, I lived in a typical little suburban neighborhood, house upon house, you know. We went outside between my, my house and my neighbor's house, and we got out there, and I mean, we just started, you know, I said, this is cool, isn't it, Gary? This is great. And we were tapping gloves. Now, he was my best friend. I mean, he was my best friend. There was no way I was going to land a hard hit on him, and I was his best friend. There was no way we were going to land a, a heavy hit. We were laughing. And we were saying, oh, watch out, here I come. Oop. If we ever did land uh, some side hit or something, it was so soft, it'd be like being hit with a pillow or something. I mean, it was just nothing serious, you know, just fun. Ladies, I don't know if you know this about something that's inside of a man. I don't know. But if, if, if a man, if a male happens to see a fight on a parking lot or anywhere at all, there's something that just pulls him. He's got to, he wants to watch it. And maybe he needs to call the police. And he will, eventually, you know. But he, he, he wants to watch a little bit, you know. Well, I know Gary and I were not really in a fight. My next door neighbor was a house full of guys. Five brothers lived in that house. They heard the commotion outside, looked out the window and saw what was going on. And then they came running out thinking there was a real serious fight going to happen, you know. And I remember because I, I could see them running around the front yard of their house coming. And one of the older boys yelled down the street, there's a fight, fight at Glacers. I mean, just yelled down the street. There are guys riding around their bikes. All of a sudden, all these guys come riding up to see this fight, you know. And we had a crowd. I mean, we had a mob. I think there were about, I don't know, 11 uh, that were there. And all of a sudden, they just kind of gathered around there on that uh, side of a yard. Gary and I looked at each other like, what in the world is happening, you know? They wanted to see a fight. And so, you know, again, we weren't landing any hard hits. You know, we're just kind of punching and having a fun time. And these guys, they wanted to see something. Now, all these guys knew me. They didn't know Gary. And they, I wasn't expecting this. All of a sudden, this, this, this mob of nine or 11 guys started chanting, Glycer, Glycer, Glycer. Okay, ladies, I need to explain something else about 
something about the male psyche, okay? Now, you're thinking unkind words like ego and pride. And, and if I could ever think of another word, I'd use it. But I mean, all of a sudden, <laughs> all I could think about was, I must represent the neighborhood, you know? <laughs> and I looked at my former friend, Carrie, and I thought, I don't need you. You know, I, I have my neighborhood. And before, and Gary, I remember the look in Gary's eye. He could see something was happening. And before he had time to pull up his guard, boom, I landed one right in the middle of his forehead and nose. And he stumbled back. We had some bushes and he fell over into our bushes. It's a, it's a memory I cherish. And I, I'm telling <laughs> I don't forget, I was an eighth grader, and uh, well, the crowd went wild, all 10 or 11 of them. Yeah, that's what they wanted to see. So again, in my deep humility, I turned to receive the praise of my adoring fans, and I'd seen the champs do it, and I, so I stuck my hands up in the air to receive all the praise of all these guys. You know, I, yes, I've represented, don't mess with me. I'm here to take care of the neighborhood. But I forgot something. Somebody was crawling out of the bushes. And he was none too happy. And he said, okay, you want to do like that? Take some yourself. And before I knew it, with my guard completely out of place, I turned to receive not one, but a barrage of hits. And I was awakened to the truth that I may have gotten a good slap in, but the fight was far from over. By the way, ladies, one more thing. For the guys know this. When it was over with and the crowd left, Gary and I were still the best of friends. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how to explain that. Hey, that was fun, you know. Uh, let's do that again tomorrow, you know, you know, wiping the blood off, you know, that was great, you know. Girls do that. They'd, they'd, they'd remember it for 38 years. But the point is, it did fine. The Christian life is a fight. Now that's not preacher talk, it's Bible truth. The Christian life is a fight. It's a warfare. And whether you're a student at BCM or a church member at Falls Baptist or just a guest here tonight, may I remind everyone that this thing of the Christian life, we have been told we are, we are called to be soldiers because we're in a fight. We're in a fight against the flesh. We're in a fight against the devil. We're in a fight against the philosophy of this world. Some people forget it. Some people forget the fact that they're in a fight. I mean, they just go through life and they, they go on through life and, and they, they, they seem to be in lockstep with the world and with the flesh. And they, don't, they, they just say, you know, I'm, I'm really not having any problems. Yeah, it's because you're in, in conjunction with the devil. You go, you go contrary with him, you're going to find yourself in a daily fight. And temptation pulling you down constantly. Some people forget they're, they're in a fight. Some people have fallen and they refuse, refuse to get back up and fight again because their philosophy is, you know what, I'm going to fail the Lord anyway. I just keep falling, I keep falling, I keep falling. So why fight? I'm just, I'm just, I can't do this. I can't live this way. At the picnic yesterday, I talked about Peter who, who said, I'm, I'm not very good at this discipleship stuff. I'm just going to go back to fishing. I'm no good at this. Some people forget. Some people have fallen and refused to get back in the fight. But here's what I think a lot of people do. They faint in the fight. And they get so weary in the fight, they get to the point to where they're discouraged and defeated. Now, when the Apostle Paul refers to this subject matter of a stronghold, he is talking about an intellectual stronghold. He's talking about his critics. He's talking about false teachers of that day. Okay, I want you to know that I understand the context. He's talking about, he's, he's, not, he's not warning them against being intelligent. He's not against intelligence. He's warning them against intellectualism in which people begin to think they know more than what they do. And they bow down to the shrine of intelligence and my brilliance. They look down their noses at people who haven't arrived at my level. And Paul is simply saying it becomes a stronghold in their life. And he goes, and it becomes their imaginations can be pulled down because we're in a warfare against false teaching. Now, that's the setting of his teaching here. But there is some application and there's some practical understanding about this matter of a stronghold. 
If I ask you tonight, what is a stronghold? Some of you would probably give me maybe a real good biblical definition about a stronghold. These people in Corinth knew what a stronghold was. It was a fortress. These Greek cultured areas like Corinth, they all had a fortress, a big castle on the edge of town. Sometimes it was built up on a high ridge that it was almost impossible to get to had it not been a, for a bridge when you were inside that Corinthian city to get up into it. You study the subject of these, old, these uh, fortresses, these strongholds, you'll find that they, they often had a gigantic thick wall around them. They also had a body of water that would be circled around this fortress. Now, why was this fortress even there? Whenever some attacking army would come into that city, as many people as could get into that, into that structure, they would feel very secure because that structure looked impregnable. It looked impossible to approach. You couldn't get to it. In fact, in some cases that I read and studied where in the, the body of water that would be circled around it, they would sometimes put a wildlife crocodile or, or something in there. They would dump, forgive me, the city sewage in there. And sometimes they would bury underneath the surface of the water sharpened stakes so that if soldiers were commanded to jump into the water and somehow or another try to scale the wall and get into that fortress and attack, sometimes they would impale themselves on those stakes that were buried underneath. It just, from a distance, soldiers would want to attack and they'd go, it's undefeatable. It's impregnable. It's impenetrable. It's, it's impossible. It's a stronghold. What's your stronghold tonight? What is that area in your life that just constantly knocks you off your feet? And you've gotten to the point to where it almost seems like, you know, something I don't think I'll ever, I don't think I'll ever live in victory. Can I just remind you, friends, this is not preacher talk. This is absolute truth. God's word calls us to live a victorious Christian life. The scriptures make it clear that this is the victory. That we are to overcome. He that over, uh, whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. Listen to what Paul said to this Corinthian church. He said in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He also said to them in this very letter. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. The writer of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, you, you, you're familiar with this passage, tells us that in our race, in, in chapter 12, he tells us that we are to lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Now, I'm not going to go through a study on that. I personally think that that sin that easily besets us is, is an unbelief sin. But there's no question he's talking about the sin that easily trips us up. Again, in that culture, people would wear robes, and sometimes if a person was at a hefty pace, sometimes that robe would begin to drip, uh, drift downward and so forth, and sometimes their foot would get caught in the garment, and they'd, they'd get tripped up over it. They would get easily tripped up. And using that as a metaphor, the Bible is saying, let us lay aside that sin which easily trips you up. You got yours in mind? I think the greatest example is given to us in a wonderful illustration from the Old Testament that we've all heard from the beginning of our life in, in a children's church program, the story of a young teenage boy fighting a giant called Goliath. Every time I read that story, I come away with greater truth. It's not just a story for little children in a children's church program. It's an incredible story of a teenage boy who showed what victory was all about. I don't have time to preach it, but when David showed up there with those soldiers, those people from Israel, the, those Israelite-trained soldiers up there on their hillside, they all said, look how big, look how big that giant is. And across that big valley stood the biggest man that anybody had ever seen. Commentators and scholars can't even get together on exactly how big Goliath would have been. They, they all agree he had to have been at least nine foot six. Some believe it's maybe, it's, I think it's Matthew Henry thinks he was as tall as 12 feet. You say, Morris, what do you think he was? I think he was a freak. That's what I think he was. And he comes out and he hollers out for how long? 40 days. Anytime the, the number 40 is in the scriptures, it's a reference to test, testing. 
Israel in the wilderness 40 years and Jesus in, uh, went into the wilderness and fasted 40 days and was tempted of the devil. And this guy, he hollers out, send me a man. He's mocking Israel. He's making fun of Israel's God. And they're saying, David, David, look how big this rascal is. And David said, have you guys forgotten how big your God is? Now you've heard that story so many times. You almost forget it's there and you kind of uh, ho-hum your way through it. I'm going to tell you something that really happened. That kid stood out there. You think he had a little, uh, little, uh, uh, little heart in his throat? I'm sure he did. I'm telling you, this must have been a, a thing. But David went out there and he says, you're coming down. You're coming down. Because it's not about me. I come, you come to me with your sword and your spear and your shield. But I come to you in the name of the Lord God of hosts. I just love that. And may that kind of teenager and young person and adult increase in our society victorious. I wish I could say more about David. Hey, what is your stronghold? You know what I've discovered about strongholds? You know what I've discovered about Goliaths that you and I get into our life? We start minimizing it sometimes. We start excusing it. Ah, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. It's, it's okay. I know some people who got a much bigger problem than what I got. You know something, uh, if, if my parents had raised me right, someone says, and I wouldn't have an issue with this. Some man says, if my wife loved me like she was supposed to, I wouldn't have an issue with what I'm looking at online. If my husband, she says, if, if he loved me like he was supposed to, I wouldn't have such an angry temper. It's always easy to find somebody else and it becomes something that literally you take two steps forward and three steps back. <laughs> You, again, Goliath. What did Goliath do? He put the brakes on Israel. He dampened their enthusiasm and their confidence in their God. A giant, a giant in my life, a Goliath in your life will, will pour a wet blanket on your sense of, I, I can live for God. That Goliath comes along and he dulls your confidence. He drains your enthusiasm. He diverts your attention from the, from the battle at hand, and he lit, literally, he, he causes you to become spiritually depressed. I guess I just can't live for victory. I can't live in victory. I'm glad other people can get victory over sin, but I just, I just don't think I can. And we get a stronghold, and we start excusing it. And I do believe this with all my heart. Most of those strongholds usually be, start in the days of our youth. Most adults walk around still dragging along the things they never learned to live in victory over when they were a young person. And they're still battling it as an adult. Would you look at verse 3 with me in our text? The Apostle Paul says, Though we walk in this human body, this flesh, we do not war after the flesh. What's he saying? He's saying we're not going to defeat the stronghold in our own strength. That's exactly what he's saying. You can, have, you can have an emotional experience. You can weep a lot. You can, you can grit your teeth and say, I'll tell you what, brother, I got a problem with this tongue, but I'm telling you what, I will not. I will not fall. In, I'm not going to curse anymore. I'm going to defeat this thing. And you put it all the weight on you. The Bible says you're not going to war that way. You're not going to win. It's not... It's not it's not in you because of the weakness of your own flesh. Well, you say, well, then Brother Morris, what, what do I do? Well, Paul doesn't leave you stranded like that. Look at verse 4. He says, for the weapons of our warfare, the word warfare there is the word campaign. What does that tell you? It means one fight doesn't eliminate the enemy. Like me knocking a kid in the bushes did not eliminate the fight. The fight continued. The truth is you're going to fight the flesh. You're going to fight against the devil. One of the joys of going to heaven, my friend, will be, we don't have to fight this flesh anymore. Among many other joys of heaven, we won't have to do that anymore. It's a campaign for the weapons of our campaign are not of the flesh. They're not material. They're not physical, but they are mighty through God. Let me just quickly ask you some things tonight. What is your stronghold? You say, what do you mean? Well, what is your Goliath? Hey, what is the Goliath that is hindering your spiritual progress? What is it that's dulling your confidence that you can really live a victorious Christian life? What is it? 
Can I just throw some things very quickly at you? This is just kind of a category type thing. Do you have a fear of man? That fear of man causes you to just, you live a life of worry and you're always conscious of what everybody else is thinking about me and I, I hope I can please people around me and people rival the authority of God in your life. You don't even live the way God wants you to live because you're so conscious of, I, I hope I look good to everybody else. And you got a fear of man and it's hindering your spiritual progress. It hinders you from being a witness for the Lord. It's become a Goliath, a stronghold. An easily besetting sin trips you up. Maybe, maybe yours is a love of things. The accumulation of things just consumes you. And there's a greediness. And it, you, you, it's, you struggle when somebody else gets something new. And, you, and there's, a, there's a sense of a, that you would never call it covetousness, but it's there. You're dissatisfied with what you have. You're not content with life. Maybe your stronghold is a lust of the flesh. Now, I know what you automatically think when you hear the term lust of flesh. We think of the realm of the immoral, which I get it. We think about the pornographic and the, the adulterous and the wicked-hearted life. But the, the flesh will pull down any person. I mean, a person who's, a, who's, a, uh, who's commanded and controlled by any, any fleshly desire leading to a person to be uh, under the control of alcohol, beverage alcohol, or a cigarette, or, or some other uh, type of an addiction of that sort, or maybe just plumb laziness or whatever. It's the flesh that's calling the shots for somebody else. Maybe it's a lack of security. I know some of this overlaps. That sense of insecurity, you feel depressed a lot. You, uh, you, 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 you're not real sure that the Lord loves you as well as he loves other people. Because of your situation and you feel like you're kind of on a, as one author puts it, a performance treadmill. You're constantly trying to earn something from God. I got I to gotta please God so he'll be good to me. You got his grace. Give me a break. And we live in a world of such insecurity and we walk around saying, I, I really can't do anything for God. I don't have anything. Yes, you do. You've got poor posture. Stand up and recognize who you are in Jesus Christ. Don't sit around and say, I can't do anything. I don't have anything going in my life. You've been gifted of God. The Spirit of the Lord lives inside of you. We need you in the ministry. Whatever realm of service that you bring to the table, for somebody else, it's an anger of others. People irritate you. Your philosophy of life is this. You know, this world would be a great place if it wasn't for all these people. And you, and you easily get irritated and you lose your temper and, and, and you get frustrated and, and things constantly, people constantly bother you. For somebody else, it's just the old-fashioned love of yourself. I mean, just, you, you live for the satisfaction of yourself. You want self-glory and you're self-defensive and you're self-pitying and you're self-sensitive. You're easily offended and on and on and on like a go. Folks, I'm throwing this at you like throwing Frisbees. You say, you didn't touch my stronghold. Good, then think of it yourself, whatever it is. I'm just kind of throwing some categories at you. Get it in mind tonight and look at verse four again. The weapons, that means we are in a campaign of warfare. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not material and carnal, fleshly. But they are mighty, now notice these two words, through God. Folks, I just want to help you tonight to see some things about our warfare and how you can live in victory. What does it mean to be mighty through God? Through God. Well, I'm a pretty simple-minded person, but I'm kind of a person that has to see things visually, so I'm going to try to help you tonight. Let me give you some th quick thoughts tonight. Number one, it means this. It means that we are to be, don't get lost in these words now, to be supremely yielded. You say, oh, yes, that's good. And in your heart you're thinking, what does he mean? I don't know what that means. Okay, let me give you another way of saying it. Be spirit-controlled. The power, the power is there. And by faith, you understand what has been given to you through the Spirit of God. It's not that you're some kind of a spiritual weakling. The power to say no is there. It's present. So what do you do? Here's the way it looks. Here's the way it sounds. Lord, I got this weakness. I, I battle in this. Lord, you know I have a problem with. 
You know I got a problem with my thought life, God. I just, I don't want to. God, I'm so weak. Lord, you know I got a problem with my, my anger. Lord, it's just, a, it just, I can't get going. Lord, you know I'm weak in this area of feeling sorry for myself. Lord, this giant of depression and this, 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 this fear and this worry just comes all over me. God, I'm so weak. I don't know what to do. And so what, is, what am I supposed to do? Well, the Bible says here, you're mighty through God, which sounds like this. Lord, I can't defeat this. In fact, your word even tells me that I don't fight with my own strength. So I can't, I can't, I can't. But you can. So I'm yours. Tell me how to negotiate my life around this temptation. Show me how to navigate my life to say no. Show me how to, how to live in victory. God, I don't know what to do. There's an Old Testament example in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 of an old king called King Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat was told one day that three armies were attacking his little area of Judah. He, had no, he, didn't, have a, he didn't have any hope of standing up against it. I mean, I, some would estimate that over a million soldiers were attacking the, the statement was made, there cometh a great multitude against thee. And it wasn't like, okay, boys, strap it on. Here we go. I mean, it was impossible. There, were, there was just no way. You know what he did? He went to the temple. He went to the temple and he took people with him. He, took, he went to the temple. And here's what the king said. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. So our eyes are on you. And the Lord said, that's what I was waiting on. So tomorrow, just going out there, I've already taken care of it. Get, get the choir ready and put them out front and let the army go and, and just go pick up. I just think, I, I've taken care of you. I, I'm sorry, my brain kind of thinks things. I can see that choir, you know, they're, they're leading the way. They're singing an early version of Victory in Jesus, you know, or uh, Victory in Jehovah. And they were, they, were, they were singing, I can imagine they were saying, oh, Victory, you guys are coming, aren't you? you know, I mean, we're, you know, uh, we don't want to be up front with no uh, uh, equipment on here. Uh, here we go, Victory. And, and they climbed, they crested the hill, and there were dead soldiers everywhere. And they just started picking up spoil. They just began to pick up all kinds of jewelry and all kinds of wealth. Why? Because they said, I don't know what to do. It's too big for us. So our eyes are on you. So when a preacher stands up and says, be supremely yielded, don't get lost in the words. Recognize it means this. God, you know I'm weak in this area. I... I wish that I'd stop worrying. God, I don't, want, I don't want this in my life. God, I don't want these 30 thoughts in my mind. God, I'm so weak. I'm weak. I want to live in victory. I don't know what to do. So I'm looking to you. My dad wanted me to learn how to play baseball. He loved baseball. He loved baseball. I love baseball. Taught my boys how to love baseball. They've taught their boys. It's a Gleiser thing. We love the sport. Just love it. My dad said to me when I was a little boy, son, you want to learn how to play? You want to learn some things about baseball? I said, yes, sir, daddy. He said, well, I got you a baseball bat. Now, my dad thought that the heavier the bat, the longer the bat, the thicker the bat, the further the ball would go when you'd hit it. That's really not true. It's bat speed that makes a difference. That's what my dad thought. So he went and bought me this big old fat, thick bat that I couldn't even couldn't hardly control. I still got it. It's a special memory. Here I am, a little five-year-old boy. He takes me outside, and he goes, all right, son, let me instruct you. He said, put your feet about shoulder width apart. Okay, Daddy. He said, now take this bat, put your left hand down here by the knob. Okay, Daddy. He said, now take your other hand and put the knuckles there together. Okay, Daddy. He said, now lift that back elbow up. I said, okay, Daddy. He said, get it up, get it up, get it up. Well, I'm beginning to feel weird, you know, awkward. I, this is not feel, feeling good. He said, now take your arms and, and turn them back. And go back with them. I said, what? He said, turn, and he pushed my arms. He said, there you go. I said, okay, daddy. Then he took my face and he turned my face forward. He said, you got to be able to look at the picture. I said, okay, daddy. He said, okay. Now, son, he said, when you, when you swing that baseball bat, he said, now you don't have to do this. But you can lift that front foot and step into it. A lot of people do it. It might give you more power. Okay, Daddy. And he said, he says, and when you, when you, he said, the main thing is when you swing, he said, son, when the bat comes out of the, when the, when the ball comes out of the pitcher's hands, you keep an eye on that ball and you watch the bat hit the ball. And he said, son, when the bat hits the ball, don't stop swinging. It's not one of these thunk. He goes, you want to 
follow through. My dad was big on following through. He said, you want to swing all the way around. Okay, daddy. He says, now how do you do that, son? He says, when you step into it, when you swing all the way through, he said, you want to, you want to break your wrist. I said, what? He said, you want to turn your wrist. He said, you want to turn your wrist all the way around. And he goes, and then you want to take your lower extremities and rotate them forward. Okay. I was a five-year-old boy. It was like explaining opera to a puppy dog. I didn't have a clue what he was saying. Okay, daddy. Okay, daddy. And then my dad reached around me and he put his hands on my hands. He leaned behind me and all of a sudden that bat began to move. I didn't even know when it was going. I, just, I was just kind of hanging on for the ride. He said to my sister, all right, Barbara, throw the ball. I looked up to see what was going to happen because I didn't know. And that ball came and that bat swung with force. Whoo! Folks, I can still see it going over my sister's head down the street. And my thought was, man, I'm good. I mean, I just got a natural ability. My dad said, Barbara, go get the ball. Well, I said, yeah, Baba, go get the ball. She, she went and got the ball. Dad educated me again. Feet apart, hands together, elbow up, arms back, face forward, step into it, swing and rotate everything around. Yes, sir. Okay, Dad. Okay, okay. I don't know. It might have been two or three times I could feel him leaning behind me, put his hands on me and making that bat move. And, and when she threw the ball, whoom, it took off. Somewhere along the way, I said, Daddy, Daddy, I, I can do this without you hanging on top of me. I can. He goes, no, you can't. I said, Daddy, I can do it. He said, Son, you can't even control the bat. You, it's too heavy. I said, Daddy, I can do it. You saw what I did. I can do it. He said, all right. Try it. So I picked up the telephone pole of a baseball bat. I couldn't keep my hands together because I, I, it, it was just too heavy. So I had to part my hands to kind of control it. Nothing was in position, right? I looked at my sister and she was looking at me like, this is a waste of time. And I said, just throw the ball. And she, she threw the ball, and I swung with all my might and totally missed the ball. The only thing I got right was the follow-through. And the bat went all the way around, and I hit myself on the side of the head, and I fell down, and I looked for mercy, and I got none from Dad. And my sister enjoyed it way too much. And I was reminded, I can't do anything without my daddy's hands. A preacher stands up here and he says, people, live in victory. Be supremely yielded. Let the spirit of God control you. And I'm scared to death that the average Christian goes, okay, preacher. Okay, preacher. Okay, preacher. But in your heart, you're thinking, what does that mean? It means this. I don't know what to do. Put your hand on my life and tell me how to navigate myself around this stronghold. Show me how I can see this Goliath collapse in before me because the power is in you and I'm only mighty through you. Number one, be supremely yielded. Mighty through God. I would say through the Spirit of God. Secondly, be scripturally supported. Mighty through the Spirit of God and mighty through the Scriptures of God. Through God. Can I remind you that the Lord Jesus, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 4, stepped into the wilderness being filled with the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and was tempted of the devil 40 days. There's our number. You know, for years I used to think, because the Bible only gives us three illustrations, I used to think that he was only tempted three times in those 40 days. No, my friend, no. He was hammered. Those are three categories. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Satan, Satan was relentless. And he came after him 40 days over and over and over again. Jesus could say, I know what you're going through. I know all about it. I suffered the same temptations, yet without sin. He was attacked for 40 days. And what did Jesus do? You already are ahead of me. In those three illustrations given to us, he, he gives us scriptures from the book of Deuteronomy. Satan, I'm not doing that because it's written. 
Satan, I'm not going there because it's, it is written. It is written. It is written. Now, I don't know if the Lord Jesus was meditating and hiding God's word in his heart. Why aren't we? Let me put it on the bottom shelf so the youngest of Christian in this room can hear me. Those areas that get the best of you in your heart right now, answer this question. Do you know one Bible verse that you could pull out like a sword and resist the devil and say, I'm not going there because it's written. I'm not going there. James tells us in chapter 4 and verse 6, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Some dear lady wakes up in the middle of the night and worry just grips your heart, snaps away your sleep and you start worrying about family and worrying about finances and worrying about this and that and so forth. I don't know about you. But when worry begins to grip a person's life, it'd be very helpful for you all of a sudden to say, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isaiah 26, 3, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Yeah. Be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God which passes on all understanding shall keep, guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. You got a problem with your temper? Driving down the road and some guy honks at you, flashes his lights like, get out of my way. He goes flying by and he gives you a look like you're a piece of trash and all of a sudden, <laughs> In Christian love, I'd like to deposit him over into the median over there, you know. All of a sudden, that rage comes over you. It's at a time like that 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 Goliath says, yeah, go get him, go get him. Or you're in a conversation with your spouse. And the devil says, yeah, and tell her this too. Yeah, and don't forget this. And, and give him this and tell him that. It's at a time like that you need to be saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Let every one of you be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for wrath worketh not the righteousness of God. You're sitting in front of your computer and you didn't plan on it, but something pops up on the screen, you're at work or something, and all of a sudden you've got to face a temp temptation glance or you're standing in the grocery store line trying to check out and there's a magazine rack and there's images just like that just like that what are you gonna do wait, wait a minute wait a minute what what know ye not that your body is the temple of the holy spirit which is it's like paul is incredulous what Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God in you? You're not your own because you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit which are God's. Whatsoever things are pure, think on these things. One sword, one scripture verse you can pull out and say, when that, when that Goliath comes out of the woods and starts controlling and making a fun, making mockery of your God and your devotion to God, do you have one sword you can pull out and say, let me tell you something. I don't have to do that because the scriptures say thus and so. Mighty through God. What does that mean? It means to be supremely yielded, spirit controlled means to be scripturally supported. And now if you would, please look at verse 5 and I'll finish. Casting down imaginations. That's the same phrase, phrasing as you saw in the previous verse. It says, pulling down of strongholds. The word pulling down and casting down is the idea of something that is imploded. Something like the walls of Jericho that just collapsed. The pulling down, the casting down of wrong thinking, imaginations. Keep reading verse 5. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Can you picture a Goliath? Every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought 
to the obedience of Christ. What in the world is he talking about? I know this church is well taught in these truths, but let me just remind you of, of the culture of what they were talking about. Whenever an army was attacking another army, whenever one army won the battle, they would literally, literally take the remaining soldiers, the king, uh, the, the generals and captains, and they would bring them back into town in captivity. But I'm not trying to be inappropriate. This is the truth. They literally stripped them down to nothing. All the headgear, all of the armor, everything that represented his kingship and his generalship and his captainship and their soldiership, they brought them back in in humiliation. They took away their power. They took away their power so that when an army that defeated another army would bring them back into their, into their prison house, people could say, you have no more authority. You have no more power. It's been snatched away. It's been pulled away from you. I can liken it, friends, to the idea of, of electricity. Someone's got a vacuum cleaner vacuuming the carpets in here, and you come up as a joke, and you unplug that vacuum cleaner. Vacuum cleaner's still there, but it has no power. Why? It's been unplugged. The power's been unplugged. He says here, bring into captivity. Unplug the power of every thought to the obedience of Christ. I, I wish this was original with me, and everybody in this room has probably heard this, but it's, it bears repeating. It's a, it's a great, helpful thought. Someone has said this, sow a thought, you know, like sow plant, Plant or sow a thought, you're going to reap a desire. Sow a desire, you're going to reap an action. Sow an action, you're going to reap a habit. Sow a habit, you'll reap a lifestyle. How does somebody get off track and live the wrong kind of lifestyle and get bad habits in their life? It comes, comes all the way back to allowing a thought to take root. Everybody in this room knows what temptation is, and hear me with both ears wide open. Temptation's not the sin. It's what you do when that temptation is trying to take root. What do you do? Whoop, whoop, unplug that rascal. Not going to let that thing take root. Unplug it. Bring it into captivity. Take away its power. It's, it's electricity. Unplug it. It looks like this. You're about to... Uh, you're about to explode on, on, on your kids. You're about to yell at them. You're about to get upset with your roommate and say something. And all of a sudden you go, whoa, 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 unplug that. No, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. What, what was that verse I was, no, I, and you literally unplug it. You have a thought creep into your mind that nobody else knows about in the deep, deep crevices of your thought life and your mind wants to go down the avenue of that which is immoral and inappropriate and carnal and in, indecent. And when that thought wants to creep in, what do you do? Whoop, whoop, unplug it. Nope, not going there. Mm -mm. No, nope, not going to think that thought. No, no, not going there. Unplug it. You take away the power. When worry and fear and depression and self-pity and all kinds of emotions that are hindering your spiritual progress wants to take over, what do you do at that very moment? Unplug it. Lord, help me. You know I'm weak. You know I want to explode. Lord, you know I want to feel sorry for myself. Lord, you know I'm fearful. Lord, I'm, I, Lord help me. I'm, I'm not going to think it. Not going to think it. Not going to go there. I'm going to change my thought. Lord, what's that verse? Lord, what's that song? Lord, help me. Show me the next step. Navigate my life to be supremely yielded to be scripturally supported and finally to be spiritually minded to unplug wrong thinking don't allow your thoughts to go down the wrong road until you master the source of your sin which is wrong thinking that sin will master you it will dominate your life, but you unplug the wrong thoughts. That's why Paul told the church in Colossians 3 and verse 2, set your mind on things above and not on things of this earth. The word set is the word that we get, the word gymnasium and exercise. Exercise your mind. Work it out. Unplug wrong thinking. May I say to you, when you go this way, God will give you escape routes because you've asked for it. Lord, I don't know how to handle this. Lord, help me. And he'll say, make this phone call. Call that friend who's praying for you. Sing that song right now. Here's that verse I told you to, to learn. And God's word will be there to help you. Uniquely enough, Lynn and I have had through the years a ministry of, of 
of various sorts. And one of the areas of our ministry, we never asked for it. It just seems like the Lord's opened this door periodically in which we have been, we have, she's talked with a lot of ladies and I've talked to a lot of teenagers who have, who have fear about their salvation. I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I said the right words. <laughs> there are not right words. I, I'm not sure I understood everything. You probably didn't have a full understanding of, of everything in the scriptures when you got saved. Satan comes along, he has no new tricks. He comes along and he tries to scare a person and tell them that they have no security in their relationship with God because how can you tell somebody else how to be saved when you're not even sure yourself if you're saved? And I can be on the West Coast, East Coast, North or South and it seems like the conversation is always the same. Brother Morris, I've, I've asked the Lord to save me. I don't know how many times, several times. And I just, I, even tonight, I just don't feel like I'm saved. And you walk, you walk through it with them and you begin to find out they understood at some particular stage and age of their life that they were a sinner. They realized that Jesus died for them and paid what they could not pay to a holy God. And they called on him and asking, asked the Lord to come into their life and bring salvation. Yes, but I don't feel safe. And we've said, no, what does the scripture say? Yes, but. No, 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 no. What does the scripture say? I understand, but. No, wait a minute. If you want to start capturing your thoughts, every time that thought comes over you that you're not saved, I've heard my wife tell many ladies this. When that thought wants to come in, unplug it. Nope, not going there. Not going there. Nope, not going to think that thought. Because the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I've done that. I've done it. And many a time a person will say, yeah, but the thought's going to come right back. Oh, I know. So unplug it again. Yeah, but it'll come right back. I know. Unplug it. As it comes back. Unplug it. Comes back. Unplug it. Here's what's going to happen. You keep resisting the devil and there'll be longer periods of time before that fear comes over you again. And there'll be times when we've had special talks with people who've told us, I never worry about that really. It's been years since I've had that fear anymore. When I graduated from high school, I regret to tell you this, it's embarrassing, honestly. I was a very selfish, self-focused guy. And I had a temper. If things didn't go my way, I, I practiced what I preached on last night. I overflowed with anger. Oh, I didn't look for a fight. I told you earlier, I wasn't a fighter. I just, just got mad. Never felt like we lost a ball game. Somebody cheated. Referee stole it from us. The coach called the wrong plays, and I was always mad. Things irritated me. Well, I graduated from high school, went off to a Christian college. Again, I didn't. I wasn't argumentative and fight, full of fight every day, but it was ever-present. As soon as I got there, I found out that griping wasn't tolerated. So I started griping about the fact that griping wasn't tolerated. <laughs> Played sports, and if things didn't go that, the way I wanted to, I got mad. And sometimes I would, I would say, well, I'm mad about good things. These people who don't want to live for God, and I, I'd, I'd get all upset. I didn't get along well with my roommates at times. I met this girl her name was Lynn. We started just having a great time being friends. That's all it was, just friendship. And we went to meals together and we went to church services together and, and uh, went to ball games together and went to special events. We just had a great time. We're still doing that. As the months went by, Lynn began to pick up that our friendship was seemingly beginning to get a little more serious though we never spoke about our future together we didn't go there we just we just were good friends and we were friends with a lot of people that's but it just seemed like that the lord was doing something i met her dad and mom and he was a local pastor in the area and i became very good friends with them and and things just began to happen and she began to realize something was happening however lynn in her own heart thought yeah, i like morris and there could be a future there maybe i but I'm not sure I can marry a man. 
who's got an explosive temper. I didn't know she had that thought. She didn't tell me. She talked to her Lord about it. And the Lord really worked me over. As I was striving to get to know the Lord more and more, and as God put me in contact with good people who were living for God, I began to long for a victorious life. I got so tired of being defeated by my attitude. I got so tired of having a temper. I got so tired of getting angry. I didn't tell anybody, but you know what I did? I just went to God and said, God, I don't know what to do. I mean, it's just been a part of my life for years. And I, God, it's, I get mad because it's all about me. I'm defending me. And I, God, I need help. I don't even know where I got the idea. Maybe I heard a chapel message. Maybe, maybe the Lord just laid it on my heart. I don't recall, but I went and got a big index card. I got this big index card and I began to, I went through my Bible and I found every verse I could find dealing with temper and anger and I wrote it out by free hand on, on, on this card on both sides and it had right at the top verses on anger and I, I had all those verses written down and every day I'd pull that card out and I'd memorize another verse and I'd, re, I'd refresh my memory on those other verses. I wanted, I'd, I had heard evidently that the word of God would give me power to say no and, and I said, God, I just need help and I began to hide God's word in my heart. I was getting my arsenal ready and I had I don't know seven eight verses memorized to get myself ready and I kept asking for help whenever temptation came I would say wait, wait a minute wait, 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 wait. don't go there and as it was one church service Lynn and I were sitting together and I had that index card in my bible she didn't know about it. Roommates didn't know about it. Nobody knew about it. It was just between me and the Lord. I put my Bible down. I said, hey, I'm going to get a drink of water or go talk to somebody. I'll be back in a minute. I got up and walked away. You ever picked up somebody else's Bible and just, you know, and just flip through it? She happened to pick it up, just kind of flip through. and She came across an index card that said, verses on temper. And she knew immediately what I was doing. And she put it back in place. And she thought, yeah, I could live with a man. I could marry a man who gets his help from the Lord. <laughs> Glad she came to that conclusion. We've been having a time together for 40, 41 years. May I say to you tonight, do I ever have a problem with anger? Did I, did I get victory and never have an issue with it again? Um, still got it. But man, I am so far away from what I used to be. It's like a new person. And I discovered when you saw one stronghold come down, oh, there are more battles to fight till we cross the finish line. I have no idea if this served as a reminder tonight, a refresher course for tonight, or instruction for somebody tonight. But whatever it is the Lord has laid on your heart tonight with reference to what we've looked at, recognize you're to be supremely yielded. God, I need your help. I don't know what to do. Be scripturally saturated and supported and be spiritually minded. Unplug wrong thinking before it has time to take root. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray tonight that you'll help us to hear from you May it not be just simply an information service. Lord, information is not just what we need. We need transformation. And I pray for students at the beginning of another semester or a start of a college career. I pray for church members who've heard Bible instruction like this for years. I pray for new believers. I pray for everyone in this room tonight who finds himself, themselves in such a warfare plane that they almost have gotten to the point to where they started to excuse themselves. Maybe they've gotten to the point to where they've just stopped fighting. They fainted so much. 
Lord, help us tonight to cry out for victory. I have no idea what you've talked to your people about, but I pray that you'll finish the work that needs to be done. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Who here tonight would say, Brother Morris, if I'm the only one that needed this message tonight, then so be it. God put something on my heart that I needed to hear tonight. He challenged me. I needed this, and it's been a help to me to go through this passage. Preacher, you say, pray for me. I needed this tonight. Would you lift up your hand all over the room? God gave me something I needed to hear tonight. God bless so many. Would you stand with me? Thank you again for your patience. I'm going to pray and I'll be quiet. Musician, will begin, musician or musicians will begin to play. The altar's wide open. You don't even have to wait on me. You can come at any time. I'll pray briefly. You come and you say, dear God, I need, I need you. Lord, I just need your help. Whatever it is he's placed on your heart, don't worry about somebody else's prayer. You take your time with the Lord. You need someone to pray with you. Let a preacher, let a pastor, let a, a counselor here know. Otherwise, they'll leave you be. Don't wait to see what someone else is going to do. You take care of business with the Lord. Father, we commit the conclusion of this service to your oversight and care. Help us to be people who live in victory. And God, I pray that you'll give wisdom to those who are seeking your wisdom tonight. In Jesus' name.